from LPM, Louisville Public Media. Support comes from Vision Zero. On foot or behind the wheel, safety is a shared responsibility. And Vision Zero Louisville believes zero roadway fatalities is the only acceptable amount. Their mission is to create safe roads by design, engineering solutions, and education. More information at visionzerolouisville.org. Yeah, this is Jay. And you're listening to Strange Fruit Podcast. Uh, welcome back to listeners. Uh, we trust that you all have been enjoying and appreciating our coverage. It, it's really, it's, it's ever-changing coverage of, of what's been going on here in Louisville with the Brown Taylor police shooting situation that happened, as we told you before, several months ago, but has really caught national attention uh, these last several weeks. I, I want to remind y'all, right, our podcast comes out about a week after we recorded. So, of course, there, there's always new things to report. The news is always changing. And so um, we recommend that you all go to WFPL.org for the latest information and, um, in our opinion, the most well-rounded information about what's happening, not just with Brianna's case, but with other cases of police violence and retaliation around the country. Go to WFPL.org for the most accurate, up-to-date information. In my opinion, is accurate, but it's certainly most up-to-date information there. And so we're going to kind of just end that discussion today but we wanted to introduce you all to somebody who's doing some really, really wonderful work because Doc, of course, part of the protest, um, you know, with, with any protest, you know, I, I, I've been in the streets for years, as have you, Doc. With any protest comes things like vandalism, looting, you know, uh, I, I hate the term, I don't do rioting, I don't say rioting at all. You know, looting and vandalism are things, right? I don't right. do rebellion. Yeah, exactly. Part of, part of rebellions and uprisings. Some people loot, some people vandalize, right? They come to the territory. You're never going to hear me critique that because it's a whole other discussion. And, you know, as, as Dr. King said, that what he called riots, the riots are the, you know, are the, for the unheard, right? That's what, that's what they, that's their language. And so, nonetheless, what happened was there's, a, there's only one grocery store in West Louisville, which is, which is the black part of town, right? You got, you have a Kroger in Portland, which is technically the West end of town, but it's really the white neighborhood. You only have one Kroger in the black neighborhood and of course, it was it was damaged. It was looted over the course of some of the uprisings. And Kroger ended up shutting down at least temporarily this grocery store. What does that mean? That means a lot of West Louisville is a food desert. That means people already struggle. Folk who don't have cars, right? To, and they've already they've already reduced bus service, right? So folk are already struggling to get fresh fruits, fresh vegetables, shit, even frozen frozen fruit and vegetables, right? Not let alone their prescriptions, and so. A lot of folks really, really stepped up to the plate to help hashtag feed the West to make sure that folk, especially senior citizens and poor folk and, and, and folk who are, you know, new compromise, et cetera, that they had access to food. They had access to to um, to their medication. So we want to welcome to the show um, Taylor Ryan, who is an activist and I believe the head of the organization called Change Today, Change Tomorrow. Please welcome to the show Change Maker Taylor Ryan. How are you? I am. I don't want to say I'm exhausted. I don't want to say I'm, I'm going to say you're exhausted. I know you're exhausted. This we can say it. It's okay. Yeah, I, but no, I want people to know that um, as, a, as a people, as a Black people, we are not tired. We are not exhausted. We are ready. So I don't want to say that. Um, I am tired. I am exhausted. But we are ready. Um, we are always ready. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, t- tell us about Change Today, Change Tomorrow. You're the founder of that organization, correct? Yes. So what we do is we service marginalized 
individuals in the West End, specifically Black folk. So our services are pretty much based on the needs of the community. And I believe that's kind of what puts us out and makes us a little bit more unique than others. Um, a lot of organizations, oh, I don't want to say organizations, a lot of times people go into places and infiltrate neighborhoods and say, this is what you need, instead of actually assessing and asking questions. So um, when COVID happened, we just expanded our outreach just tremendously. Um, initially, we were doing, you know, small community service events, youth engagement programming with Parkland uh, Boys and Girls Club, just, you know, overall fun service thing um, to get our name out there to make the impact. And then we started on, we hit the ground running with our homeless outreach. Um, after that and COVID hit, we had to do something. I mean, there's so many things that people need, um, so many people out of work, people who are now returning to work, but COVID is still real. So many questionable things still in the air. So we are just trying to be here um, as a resource, as a, something to lean on. If we don't have it, we can link you to it. Um, before Feed the West happened, we was broke, okay? And we were asking and begging all these different organizations and foundations for help. We are a 501c3 uh, charitable organization. Um, we are doing the work. We are servicing at least 400 people a week. And that was before Feed the West. Has this been the whole time that these protests have been going on that y'all have been doing this and, and helping folks out in the community? Um, or is it just in the, the recent um, murder of David um, and the response of the Kroger at 28th and Broadway? Like, you know, give us a little context of, around. Of um, course, of course. Yeah, um, church today, change tomorrow. Yeah, we've been in the streets. We started our homeless uh, outreach back in December. So back in December, our homeless outreach was every other Thursday because at the time we just didn't have the money to or the capacity to do it more often. So we started that back in uh, December. It has been every other Thursday since then until we received the One Louisville COVID response grant, which completely boosted uh, pretty much our outreach, everything. And how much was that grant for, by the way? We received $25,000. Why $25,000? Get it to go okay. ahead. Yes. Okay. And um, if you need to know any, any way of how we spend our money, uh, the breakdown of that is always on our website. We have financial reports. It is a page right on our website. So please know that we are 100% about transparency. If we are spending money, you are seeing it. You are seeing exactly how we are spending it. And so um, basically that's kind of our small action or challenge to other organizations, specifically larger ones who are receiving millions and millions of dollars. And, you know, they are saying they are in the streets, but we don't see them. So we just want to know like, where are that money going? <laughs> yeah, what, what, are, what are models at? I love it. I love it. I, I want to talk to you about something in particular that I, that I saw on your Facebook Live, and it has been, it has been sitting in my spirit. Um, so you all went, actually, you know, there was a, I think there was a peace rally. Nonetheless, there was a gathering related to the protests um, over the weekend, and you all took, you know, you all went down there to feed folks, right? And, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm a co-founder of Black Lives Matter Louisville, a primary tenant of, of, of the work that we do as an organization, but also any of us who really are committed to, to liberating Black people, is that, that you, it's okay to put Black people first, right? It's okay to put Black people first. It's okay but to definitely. It's a, and it's our mission. And, and, and it's, it's necessary, right, to decentral whiteness. And, and, that, and that's tough white people. That's why you got Karens and Beckys. It's tough, right? But, but we're committed to that. 
in, in my opinion, anybody who's a white ally or accomplice, they got to understand that tenant, right? That, you know, and it's, it's no different than as a man, if I go to a women-led space, that, that, that means that Jason, you don't exactly. get off your comments first. I got, I got to sit quietly to all the women have spoken, and then, and then I can offer my commentary, and I might only just say one thing and then shut back up again, right? So nonetheless- If, no. if these individuals were trained properly, we are completing direct action here. If these individuals yeah. were trained as allies, they would have played their role. Their yeah, role we're going to come, come back to the proper training thing too, because I want to okay. talk about that. Okay. So okay. what happened in the situation is, long story short, y'all go to feed the people, and you know, you, you tell you let you let the people know, you know, we we feed black folk first. And I don't even, I don't even know you probably yes, and I, I, yes, and I never said only. Um, no, you said I, first. Yes. So I need to make And listen, and, and pe- pe- don't, don't let people play dumb. If you ever been to church, if you ever been to a family gathering, I don't know, maybe you're not the same white people. You, you know, the elders eat first or the, the visit pastor eat first. People Why are, are not unaccustomed. Why, people, Why are are people are not unaccustomed to somebody who's but nonetheless, in this situation, not the visiting pastors. Well, you know, that's how I be, Doc. If you go to like a Baptist church, they'd be like, um, uh, pastor so and so came all the way from Alabama. We're gonna let them go first and we're gonna let the elders go. And that's go, true. You know, like that's all the you know, it's it's not uncommon. At least they're not for black people, but nonetheless, so this white person, I guess, and, I, and I'll let you, okay, Taylor, you tell the story, please. Yeah, so every Sunday, um, we're into, I think we're in our seventh Sunday now, we partner with Sow and Seed with Faith and Dope Designs by Nanny to provide 100 meals to the West End every Sunday. Um, we do this by giving Sow and Seed with Faith 65 meals, and then we also partner with Park Hill, we give them, we give them the remaining 35. Um, last week, our Park Hill coordinator um, canceled on us. She had a death in her family. So we rerouted those 35 meals downtown. Um, in the process of doing that, we hadn't even really gotten set up and people were already like in our face. Um, so yes, we have free food. Yes, it is for you, but you must wait your turn because you must know your role in this movement. Um, for me in that moment, it was just kind of like a social experiment <laughs> just to gauge, like, why are you really here? Are you here for us? If you are, you'll wait your turn. Like we waited our turn for 400 years. So, I mean, I, I kind of, me personally, I'm going to challenge, I'm going to make you uncomfortable because that's going to that's give you the opportunity to learn. That's going to give you the opportunity to grow. And if you're not here for the right movement and the right reason, you need to go home. Yeah, but there was someone there was someone there who was unhappy with that, right? And then you said there was a white person who was unhappy with that who created quite the ruckus. And what I want to talk about in particular, which has been on my spirit, was that okay, there was a white person. Yeah, okay, okay. And a black person gave them tell tell that part. Tell that part. So what happened was I gave two meals out. We had just got there. I gave two meals out. One was to a black pastor. I'm not religious, y'all. I mean, rock with it. You do what you do. Okay, cool. But that's not me. And hey, he got his food. Somebody else got their food. The white gentleman walked up and I just said, I, you know, we're feeding black folks first. Please, you know, just wait your turn. I wasn't rude. So he got upset. He was like, well, I'm here to protest just like you are. And I was just like, okay, if you were, then you would know your role. So please just wait. Like, it's not a problem. I didn't say I wasn't going to feed you, but I'm going to feed my brothers and my sisters first. He was fuming. He sat there for a while, stood there, stood there over me. Um, I'm not one to budge, so I just stood there and kept serving my people. I don't know what you want me to do, sir. Um, my people are hungry. You will get fed in a minute. So you could tell, you could feel the energy off this man. So this pastor stepped in as 
we always do as black folks, not even just pastors, just, just always want to give our last to somebody who don't deserve it, y'all. And I'm not trying to say white people don't deserve it, but this, this particular person did not deserve this food because he took that meal, y'all, and he threw it. So you wasted that's a what, meal. That's what it is. So hold on. So why did, why did he throw it? Because he had to wait? Yes. As if to say, like, I don't want to eat, like, but now, hold on, y'all. Hold on, hold on, listeners. I'm going to try to marry So not crazy. only did that, three, three, the black three, man hold on, y'all. get hold on, to Hold on, eat. Taylor. Taylor, hold on. Pause three seconds. I need, I need listeners to marinate on this for three seconds of silence. Yes. Food to the black man. The black man gave the plate to the white man, and the white man threw it on the ground. Period. Okay, go. Okay, but hold on. Let me let me just interrupt right here. This this is, this is yeah. the part of the of my spirit. If they, and I wanted to say it's on it's on black men because it can happen across gender. But how often? Yes. Do, how often do we metaphorically give our plates? And how often do we how often do we pan into white? And it, how much more powerful would it have been to me if this, if this black pastor stood inside? Like, if you, if he heard you articulate this white man what your rules were for your food. And he understood the greater principle. If he had just said- that He condemned me. He said, shame on me. Do you, you understand what I mean? That, that instead yes. of solidarity with other black people, and listen, I, I, I'm like Lauren Hill. I'm only saying it because I've been there. In my past, you know, past lives, past, in my younger years, did, did, did I want to be the, you know, you know what I heard they feelings? But, the, but that wasn't good, right? And so how often, that I cowtail to whiteness to the detriment, yes. right? And so you think you're doing this guy a favor, but they're going to show you that, his intent, that the white guy's intentions are not pure because he threw the food on the ground. Yeah, I mean, yes. it's, the same, it's the same thing. And I think that I, it, it's sad and it's heartbreaking to see how so many Black folks, not only you have Black celebrities like Killer Mike and them being used as pawns for politicians to condemn Black people in the ways in which they're protesting, um, but also Black people themselves at doing movement work and protesting, um, having to, if there is white presence, them being overly thankful and grateful for the white presence, them, like you said, cowtailing to the white presence, them uh, feeling like, oh, well, don't be reverse racist. I mean, you got a lot of Black folks out there who believe in reverse racism as if that's a real thing. I mean, so it it really speaks to the limitless reach of white supremacy, its indoctrination um, and its institutionalization and its effect on black and brown folk who would rather white favor than support black causes in, in real ways. You see what I'm saying? So mm. uh, it's just, it's something that everybody has really been infected and you really actively as a black person have to work your best mentally to unlearn that kind of practice. Cause I, I yeah. honestly think that white supremacy is so indoctrinated that it becomes this reflex response. So yes, it's in our subconscious mm -hmm. mind. It's embedded in our subconscious. Yep. Yes, yes, it is. And so you Taylor articulating, Hey, I'm not, I'm feeding black folk first and this is movement work and this is what we do. This is what we always do. And then the, the entitlement, the arrogance and the racist yes. being projected onto you. And then you have this other black man who, who helps to facilitate that reach and that arm of white supremacy. Yes, and, and all my emotions uh, in that moment. Yeah, it is, it's, it's, really, um, it's really terrible. It's the same thing of the news, the news media I've been noticing in these recent protests in Louisville, particularly, they find the one black person at, at the rally to say, you know, we're here to be peaceful. We're not here to loot and riot. Uh, we're here to be peaceful. Or they'll say, you know, we we don't condone uh, what some of the people are doing. Uh, we're just here for- And we don't even know them. I know, and this is the pressure, but that is the limitless reach of white supremacy. It knows no bounds. It knows no limits. And it's yes. 
everyone nationally and internationally with that kind of sickness of, of the mind of to think that somehow what all uprisings and rebellions are is literal physical heartbreak in public. That's all they are. The rage yes. is heartbreak, right? So if folks are out in droves risking COVID, risking infection to speak to justice and speak truth to power, it's so very telling um, to get to see what gets spotlighted in these newscasts and these me and, and and these media platforms about condemning black folk who are literally having their heart broken in public, displaying their heartbreak through rage in public, and for even black folks themselves who are out in those streets to not have empathy for that, but to try to garner another opportunity to get some kind child. of white behavior. It's like, child, please leave. say, miss me with that child. I'm, I'm not off that at all. And I, But it, again, I think that it takes one a really, really long time to unlearn that, right? It does, it does. And I, I mean, poor old man, I, I understand you just so embedded, I get it, but sir, please eat your food. It's your food, it's your food, it's your food. It was served to you. Well, I, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> I'm, sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I went off, child. I just, I mean, I'm just so frustrated uh, seeing these images and these little sound bites over and over again, where you have black folk condemning other black folk and you have black folk not supporting black folk, but then kowtailing to the, the four and five white protesters that show up to a rally. It's like, that's not, mm -hmm. all you are doing is being a decent human being. That's all that it is. And you're, you see what I'm saying? I mean, I, I don't, I don't give cookies or claps or salutes to white folks to show up to an all black space to tell black people how they're in solidarity with them. Go tell that to your white daddy. Go tell that yeah, to your I need you to go advocate and bring us them dollars. What hey, are you doing? Go, go do the real work of, of, of what it means to be an accomplice. Showing up to a black space to celebrate and say, hey, I'm down for you black guys, right? But then for your whiteness to enter yes. that and to say, well, I, I'm here and I'm entitled to the meal before the black man, even though I'm yes. trying to come Showing here. Showing up to a black guys. space to take up hey. space. Yeah, and then for him to get enraged like that, similar to the ways in which these cops are getting enraged with black folk, right? So it's just, to me, that you don't do me no favors like that. That is not, I'm not gonna salute you. I'm not going to compliment you. I'm not gonna be like, you're such a decent person. You know, to not be, to be anti-racist is the most decent thing that one can do. It's yeah, that's, that's like, it's like the base, it's like the base level. Base level, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it was just the same as the, the, these folks sharing these these uh, memes of King talking about this is a protest and then this is a crime. And it's like, what happened to King? Did, did America not murder King? Is, is King not dead? Did he not die at 38 years old? Is he not assassinated? So miss me with that. And it's all these white folks on social media trying to prop up Martin Luther King as if when he was walking those streets, when he was sitting at those lunch counters in his Sunday best and they were getting spat on and they were getting attacked by dogs and water hoses and beat with sticks. Mm. Ask your daddy about how he liked King and about how he, he propped up King because he wasn't doing that. And you currently aren't doing that. This kind of milk toast version of King King was about social democracy. He was about poor people. He was not about the establishment. He said all white moderates are racist. I mean, he was radical. And, and America, white America in particular, is, seeks to always undermine what his vision actually was and who he actually was. So don't be sitting up here trying to prop up King to condemn these black protesters who are expressing black pain and black heartache. Miss me. They swear he died for it too. Uh, this ain't they, what he died that. for. <laughs> he was murdered. Yes. Assassinated. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it's just that they do that same stuff with Ali. Ali was an agitator when he was alive. And then once he got Parkinson's and once he was 
you know, basically because of his disease, he became mute. Then it's like, oh, we love Muhammad Ali. Really? Because I thought Muhammad Ali got the- Right, right. Because he couldn't sit at a restaurant in Louisville, Kentucky. I thought that Ali. So did y'all love that Ali or not? They loved him because he couldn't speak no more. I don't know. Can we I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, listeners. Listeners, 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 fruitcakes. These are the moments y'all live for. I'll tell you what, we we bring, I know that y'all look forward to when Doc gets going honey and, and and taylor you you be here too like like I, we, we try to bring people these important conversations you know some of the stuff be kitchen table talk about but but again i, I just really appreciate you taylor not just for you know i'm sorry answer should have asked you because i like share that story but i saw it on your live and i was like and it just had me sitting with my feelings about first of all thinking the universe and i'm no longer that black person who feels that need to to accommodate whiteness in that kind of way? I just don't. I just, I just don't. I thank God I ain't been that person for a very long time. But I but I just but, but it made me sad for those of us who still because a lot of us are still there, right? And as, as y'all said, it, it's not necessarily on purpose. Like white supremacy. Yes, even the subconscious when you get out of their yeah, way on the thought yeah, walk. Yeah. Even the subconscious when you just you know you see them and you just tidy up a little bit. All that. Like all that. what are we doing that for? Yeah, yeah, all that, all that. But all that to say that um, as as we begin to wrap this conversation up, you, you're doing wonderful work. Let our listeners know how they can keep up with the work of your organization, either on social media or website. Maybe folks want to give donations. Maybe folks want to become volunteers. Maybe folks just want to send a word of encouragement. How can folks find out more about what you're up to each week and maybe get involved? Yes. Um, as you all know, we launched the Feed the West uh, campaign. Literally overnight, we are about to hit $60,000 in communal support. So I just want to thank the community at large. All of these dollars are completely raised by individuals. No organization or entity, to my knowledge, has donated um, anything other than it, it's, it's all individually led. It's all community based. We just want to thank everyone in Louisville and surrounding areas who've been donating. You can go to change-today.org and it has all the information on it. You can request groceries. You can uh, request to volunteer as well as put a form in for a, a donation, a tangible food donation. We are working on securing more sites. Today we had two sites and they are at capacity. Um, so that is great. We are, start, our goal today is to serve 600 families. I think we are going to hit a thousand. Um, so I will report those numbers back to you all probably on my Facebook post later yeah. this evening. I love it. Uh, I, I do want to say this, I gotta give a shout out to, you mentioned earlier, Sowing Seeds of Faith. So Damari Fleming, who's the founder and CEO of that is my, is my little brother. Shout out, shout out to Mari. Um, uh, shout yeah. out to Mari. Yes, and you know, thank yeah. y'all for all the work you are doing. It is it's wonderful, it's needed, it's necessary. And and keep speaking truth to power. Yes, yeah, so I only have one request, Taylor. My only request here because I I, I really I be I be seeing the menu each week, and I, although I'm not really in need, and I don't no, want, and I, I, don't, I, don't, I need to clear that up too. Okay. Sunday dinner is not for low income. Family. Okay. Sunday, Sunday dinner is uh, you anybody. know it, that is the staple of our of our community. Sunday dinner it is is for anybody who lives in the West End. Oh, so I, I I get a plate of because y'all 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 be you be. It gets okay. delivered directly to you. Um, all you have to do is put in a request every Friday. You call Demarion Fleming. His uh, number is on our flyer. Um, we did put out a menu this week, but since so much money has come in, we are looking to now move Sunday dinner to be catered because we were physically cooking that in our apartment kitchen. Okay, so we got money, honey, and we about to put it right back into our community. 
I love it. I love it, y'all. Our guest today has been the founder and uh, executive director of Change Today, Change Tomorrow, a really wonderful community activist who's helping to hashtag Feed the West to feed the Black residents of Louisville, Kentucky, but also doing homeless outreach and obviously doing so much more. I'm telling y'all, at, at the very least, get, get, get registered for Sunday dinner, y'all. I'm gonna get me a plate. Um, but Taylor, thanks okay. for being with us. Hey, Doc, let's take a quick break. I'm um, telling people who we are. You're listening to Strange Fruit Podcast. Support for LPM Podcasts comes from the Eye Care Institute and Butchertown Clinical Trials, where they strive for diversity, equity, and inclusion within their staff, patients, and clinical trial participants. To learn more, visit butchertown.clinic. Welcome back. You're listening to Strange Fruit Podcast. So, Doc, you know, every once in a while we have uh, listeners, uh, our fruitcakes, who pitch stories to us where they want to come on and talk about something, or perhaps they have a very interesting story to share. And that includes uh, one of today's guests who reached out to us to talk about his book published in 2018. And it's, it's I guess it's it's an adventure tale. It's, it's a true story, perhaps an adventure. It's a romantic adventure. It's about two folk tackling. Uh, well, I'll let him tell you all about it. Please welcome to the show, the author of River Queens, Saucy Boat, Stout Mates, Spotted Dog America, author Alexander Watson to the show. Hi, Alexander. Hi, you guys. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you sent us essentially the pitch for you, uh, of your book, and your story idea. And I'll tell you what was fascinating. I am a city slicker through and through. I mean, I, I enjoy uh, maybe, uh, maybe a camping excursion. You know, I might even enjoy a, a luxury cruise line. But you, your adventure, you and your, your partner, your husband, you all spent quite some time actually on a, on a yacht, on a boat, on the good old Faster River. Now, this was not a luxury cruise liner. This was not, you know, this was kind of um, a bare bones adventure of two guys. Um, tell us a little bit about it, Alexander. Um, now, you all, you, it's you and your husband, Dale Harris, that you all had never been necessarily boaters or river enthusiasts. In fact, you all had never even owned a boat, right? You all were antiquers from Dallas. How do, how do two gay white men who are married in Tinkers of Dallas end up uh, up and down the Ohio and other rivers for over a year. Fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Um, briefly, Dale and I were landlords at the time and we were working very hard to restore properties. And one day we took a day off and I had said, let's go to the Dallas Boat Show in 2001. And we went having no idea what we were looking at. I mean, we, we could have just as well been in the lingerie department at Macy's having no idea what we were looking at. But to make a long story short, we found a boat sinking in our slip um, up on Lake Texoma, which is on the Texas and Oklahoma border. And we did not know that an experienced boater stays away from wooden boats. We didn't know that this was an impossible project. And so we took it on and restoration was two years. And then we decided that wouldn't it be great to take this boat somewhere because Lake Texoma is a landlocked lake and the closest place to take it is the Arkansas River. And then we said, wouldn't it be great to live in another city because Dallas is my own hometown. And we ended up in Cincinnati, Ohio and stopped in Louisville, Kentucky, obviously on the way. We had intended for this trip to be a summertime junket. Let's go do this over the summer. And, uh, well, you know how expeditions are, setbacks and delays force the trip to be about 15 months rather than 90 days. And 
one often life's best experiences are are not that pleasant at the time. It takes a it takes a perspective, a looking back to realize, gosh, that really was a life changing event. And for us, it really was because we had thought that we were just going to be these these erstwhile sailors spending a summer on the water when in fact it became kind of a job because cruising long term is a job because all day long you cruise you make you make tracks and or wakes as it is in boating and then at the end of the day you still have the cabins to muck out and you've got the beds to make and the bills to pay and you have to keep up with your family and your friends at home who thought you completely lost your mind and then you have to get the groceries and the meds and you have to do everything you have to do at home. Plus you're on this trip. And it was life-changing in this respect. We did not even take into account that two gay city slickers from the gayest enclave in Dallas, Texas, Oak Lawn, we didn't take into effect the, the straightness of the environment we were going into. And what we were going into were the ruralist area of our country. It was not as rural as Appalachia, but it was damn close. Our splash point was Salisaw, Oklahoma, which is a, a white settlement surrounded by Indian reservations. And a lot of the people that we met really quite hadn't ever met a homosexual man before, much less two. And in the middle of getting ready to take the boat from a lake to a river situation, we had to do some reconfiguring and refitting. And that took some expert help. And that help was to come from the marina operator who unbeknownst to us had stage four brain cancer and died in the middle of preparation. So we had to rely on the expertise of hobbyists who were drag racers at the neighboring strip to provide the kind of mechanical care and, and, and support that we needed. And South Oklahoma is a great town. But a ballpoint pen, pen is special order and overnight delivery is one week. So it took us quite a while and we finally got underway in October of 2008, which is when we had thought we would be well situated in Cincinnati, Ohio, our final des destination. But we were in fact just getting started on the trip. And so it was an opportunity to to learn how other people live, to broaden one's horizons and to, to kind of meet America on its own turf. And bringing it up to date, bringing it up to right the here and now, it has been a very beneficial experience because in Dallas, Texas, I was raised in the, in the, in the decorative arts. My parents were furniture dealers. I was an antique dealer. And Dale and I held property in, like I said, Oakland at the time, Dallas's gayest enclave. And we actually, our, our apartments, we rented most of our apartments, they were small efficiencies to people who had come from the outlying areas to, to find themselves and to be with other gay people. So the experience was good for, for me and that or us. And that now that we live in Cincinnati, quite different environment. And we have had the experience that we had on the river and with river people, we kind of understand the sympathy that Donald Trump engendered. We don't agree with it. But we have known plenty of people who really do honestly feel that government needs to stay out of their lives and, and can see the value of that presidency, at least early on. The recent, the recent events are, have kind of shaded it differently. So that, in a nutshell, is, is, is what the story is about.
I mean, it's um, it's it's a really amazing read. And I just wanted you, Alexander, for a moment to talk to our listeners about some of the river people you met along the way. Tell us about um, encountering them and you all's interaction with them. Um, and how did that go? How did those conversations happen? And, you know, just give us a gist of some of the folks you met along your travel. All right. The, the fact of the matter is that there were only two points on the trip where Dale and I had to anchor out, meaning that is that we had to drop anchor in the middle of the river and spend the night in the middle of the river. As a hobbyist, this is, this is what you live for. You go out, you, you go out, you spend a couple nights on the river. You see this in Cincinnati for fireworks. People come in, uh, come up a day or two ahead of the fireworks. They anchor out, they enjoy life on the river, they drink, they smoke, they scream, and they have a wonderful time. When you're anchoring out on the river by oneself, there are the dangers and the hazards of passing traffic like great big barges in the middle of the night who can't necessarily see you because you're all around right, you're all around light, which your which is your beacon at night went out. So we avoided spending the night on the river unless we had to, which meant that we always spent the night in port if we could. And when you're spending the night in port, you are the stranger, you are the guest, you are the one who has sailed up from God knows where, and you're generally introducing yourself into a very tight-knit community, being the local boaters in the surrounding area. And the first thing that, that has to happen once you secure the boat is that you have to take Doris Fay, our rescue Dalmatian, ashore for a pee. And Doris Fay was a very solicitous Dalmatian, a very energetic Dalmatian, and she was a joy. And she was our goodwill ambassador in port and our morale officer aboard, aboard ship. And she was primarily who introduced us first to anybody because she would go up to anybody and say hello. And it was a great icebreaker because after a day on the water, what we generally needed was uh, I don't, what we generally needed was an ice cream because we couldn't keep it on the boat. We had to have groceries and which meant we had to have transport, land transport. And so you right off the bat <laughs> arrive with these needs. It's like if you had a, a friend coming for, for dinner and they said, oh my God, I need a shower. I have to use the phone and I have to have a cigarette and, and then we can talk. So our first acquaintance with people was, was our needs and soliciting their help and getting those needs satisfied. Um, some of the people, um, there was Joe in Anderson, Kentucky, who was the, the, the local, the, was the town handyman. They had, they had spent, that town had spent its career making sure Joe always had something to do. And Joe, it, we, we sailed up and we docked and Joe, Joe spent his time mainly at the parks. And so he saw us arrive and he came down and he said, I'm Joe. <laughs> and uh, he was very interested in the boat. And we said that we had stopped for lunch. And he told us where we could go get some lunch. We had a lovely chicken fried steak with some mashed potatoes and green beans. And when we came back, Joe was a simple soul. When we came back, Joe wanted to look in the windows and see where we slept and where we ate and how we lived. And so I told him, I said, our next stop was going to be Evansville, which I didn't think was that far away. And so I said, Joe, don't you want to go with us? And he sat and he thought for a minute. And he thought for a minute because he really wanted to go. But he said, how will I get back? <laughs> and I said, oh, you know, Joe, I'm, I'm sorry I don't know that. 
<laughs> but I, I love that. I mean, I'm I'm just like Joe Alexander that you know, and and called me not Eve, but I was going to ask you, what were your accommodations like? I mean, there, there's a picture of of the Betty Jane on the back cover of your book, but so did you all have? And part of my ignorance, like, did you all have like a stove there? Did you have a bathroom? Did you have to use a bucket? Oh, like, like yeah, to what no. degree did you have the comforts of home? And <laughs> so, did you have a refrigerator? How'd you keep? How'd you eat every day? How'd you how'd you relieve yourselves? Did you have a shower? Answer those questions for a guy like me who doesn't know any better. Okay, the the vessel is a 1955 Chris Craft Corsair, which is a 45 foot mahogany cruiser. And it has, if you start at the bow of the boat, there are crew quarters in the front, which are an over, over and under bunk. It also has a head, which is sailor for toilet and a vanity and a closet. And behind, and, and behind that is the galley. And the opposite of the galley is the dinette, much like in an RV. Behind that is the deck house, which we would call a living room. Behind that is the stateroom, which we would call a bedroom. And the stateroom had Desi Lucy style twin bunks on either side. Oh, I love it. And there's a head short, toilet and shower and vanity in the stateroom. Behind the stateroom, if you, there's a picture on the back of the boat and there are photographs on my website. Um, shall I give that, that URL now? Absolutely, yeah, let folks know because I'm sure there are people who want to see as they hear about this, exactly what the, the better, so how, yeah, how can folk uh, follow along to this podcast by, by looking at your website. What is your website? www.riverqueens.us. I love it. I love it. And there are photographs of us in the boat and everything like that behind. If you look at the, if you look in the pictures, the first one on the cover page of the website, you will see us departing South Oklahoma. And the final thing in the back of the boat is a cockpit where, uh, where we used to sp spend the evenings. We had yeah. put out chairs and spend the evenings back there. So yeah. it is it is all the luxuries of home, except that it is only 10 feet wide and 45 feet long. And the really distraction is that you have to go up and over the engine room, which is in the in the deck house in the center of the boat, which we would call a living room. The, the engine room is underneath the deck house. And so you okay. have to step up and over and up and over and up and over. And by the end of the day, you, we've got tight asses, but we're tired. All right, you got quite the workout. Well, you know, there's, there's always a give and take to everything. I mean, I, there's always a give and take to everything. I, I'll take I'll take a little fatigue if I got some tight buttons of steel. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask right. you, right? Uh, you know, you, you guys, you know, when the face starts going and all you can have are tight buns, you're thankful for those tight buns. Story, a story of a story of my life. <laughs> yes, I was going to ask. I was going to ask you, Alexander. What did you all like? What are some, you know, kind of life lessons? And um, I would imagine being on the water and, and traveling down river would allow y'all time to reflect and think and and quiet and and give you some peace what kind of like kind of life lessons or what did you all learn along your journey leave your judgments ashore the the person who i would have a judgment about one moment would be the person that would save my butt the next because life on the water is 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 um it's not dangerous of course it's dangerous we can't breathe underwater but there is not there is not perils it's not like homer's odyssey where there are perils on every page um but there were many times when i would have a judgment about somebody 
on first sight without ever knowing them and then turning out and that would be the person that would save my butt and that happens on the water all the time we did it it's kind of the camaraderie of the river is that the sailors all take care of themselves and so whatever you think about somebody else really is best kept to yourself yeah the river traveling a river is can be rather monotonous because once you get past the thrill of seeing a cornfield and a cow and a sycamore tree you pretty much have seen the river from end to end so there were lots and lots of quiet times and because we were only traveling at eight miles an hour which is about twice as fast as a person can walk one has a lot of time to think about uh and enjoy the dragonflies that come and mate over your bow or in my case dale harris my partner or our dog it's just life life just becomes a series of getting up having breakfast starting up and getting underway having lunch while you're underway and then bedding down for the night. So it's quite a different lifestyle than it is on land because at the time we were taking the trip, uh, cell service was very spotty and there wasn't much entertainment. We read a lot. I love it. I, um, there's something I want to talk to you about. So yeah, so you, you all are having these wild adventures on the river, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, Alexander, from reading even just the very, very beginnings of your book, your life has been an adventure from very early on. Uh, <laughs> yes, it has. I, yeah, I mean, a couple of things I want to ask you about. I mean, two things in particular. One of them very somber. The other one kind of it's also somber, but 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 probably a bit more funny. But at fifteen years old, uh, you know, your mother comes home from from, from her day, as she often does, and you know, your mother kind of has this this routine whereby she, as you say, retires to her boudoir to freshen up and. And, 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 and have a cigarette or whatever it is she does before dinner. But this particular night when you were 15, something was different and, and something happened and, and something happened to someone. And I want to know what happened and how that impacted your life. And then when you were 28 um, and your mother, um, you know, there's some 13 that your mother has passed away and you know, you're going to meet with the attorneys. Like, and, you know, we all kind of imagine ourselves doing, going to meet with our parents' attorneys and just waiting to hear about the the big fat million dollar inheritance is going to happen. You know, what, what went down that, that day? So tell us about those two particular days and how sharing those stories was sharing some reflections about things that were indicative kind of, of, of your of your life. Your life kind of seemed to give us the adventure from the very beginning. My mother, I was 15 years old and I can remember distinctly that I was sitting on the sofa reading Idols for the King, Alfred Lord Tennyson's Idols of the King for, for English class. And mother came in and and you know, we all have routines. We're all creatures of habit. And in this particular evening, mother came in and, and instead of going to her bedroom and freshening up before dinner, she sat in the chair. She always sat in the living room. And she said that my, my brother had committed suicide um, with my grandfather's pearl-handled pistol. And what was so poignant about that was that we were not a very demonstrative family. And mother clenched in her hand, her eyeglasses, and she was so grief stricken that she crushed those glasses in her, in her right hand and the lenses pierced her flesh and the blood dripped onto the carpet below. What that has to do with the book was that my family never spoke my brother's name again. And it was because he had failed. And so I put together that my brother, that, that my family would not speak my name if I failed. 
And the problem with that was they never told me what was expected of me. I, we, I was supposed to grow up and be a productive citizen and make my name for a and make a name for myself and put my mark on the world and all those things that you're supposed to, you know, be president of the United States, you know, all those things we're supposed to do. But they were never specific. You were supposed, you know, we were supposed to be great people. But no one ever told me how. And so I kind of <laughs> I kind of made it up as I went along. <laughs> the uh, other event you referred to is that um, I had it had always been true that that part of I always assumed that part of my life would be spent taking over my mother's furniture business in, in Dallas. So I had kind of planned for that. And uh, she died she died of cancer at, at age 60, rather early. And I had been working in training for seven years. And what I had, what I had inherited from my mother was about half a million dollars in debt. <laughs> I love that you can laugh about it. I love that you can laugh about it now, Alexander. And now well, like it, it, you know, it, Life's funny that way. Um, I had a half a million dollars in debt. I think I had about maybe, I don't know, $100,000 in assets. So I have five times as much debt as I have assets. And the wonderful thing about that experience was that my now wedded partner, Dale Harris, and I had only been together for a couple of years. And I had no idea how to read a, a spreadsheet, a balance sheet, and he did. And so when you're given half a million dollars in debt, there's nothing to lose. In fact, all of my mother's advisors had told me, beach it, there's nothing here. There's nothing to say. There's nothing you can do. And, you know, I'm kind of like Laverne and Shirley. Show me, you know, tell me no and watch me do it. And so Dale and I just put, put our, our noses to the grindstone and, and I would go off to work every morning and it, to start to be more accurate. Dale used to get, get up in the morning, still does, make the coffee, make the breakfast, make the lunch, and then put out my clothes to, to suit up and go to work because I was so frazzled from trying to put this business back together. And then I would come home zonked because every time I went to work, there was another skeleton in the closet that nobody told me about. There was another bill due. There was another invoice to be paid. There was another demand for money of which there was none. And so I came home frazzled. And so Dale would make the dinner and put me to bed. He'd listen to me moan and cry and complain and how scared I was and and how upset I was and, and how I didn't know what I was doing and so on and so forth. And then he'd say, well, tomorrow's another day. And he'd wake me up the next morning. And the last thing he would do, kiss me on the face. And the last thing he'd do is say, now go, go pick at that wall. Go pick at that wall. And he went to his job. And that's kind of how we've lived our lives is we take on something like a, a, an antique wooden boat sinking in the slip. And then you go every day and you just go pick at it until finally you break through and you're like, oh. I did it. <laughs> yeah, so I love it. I love it's, it. yeah. it's kind of like, you know, it's like everything else we have done in my, our lives together. We take on these projects that everyone says, you're an idiot to do this. Okay, maybe I am, but let's see what happens. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And it really is. It's a story of perseverance. And you and I exchanged emails and you mentioned that, you know, the ways in which, you know, that you were inspired you know, by Rosa Parks and her defiance and from the bus. And so it really, it, you know, your book really is a story of, again, the find the odds. And, and as, you, as you said, your email to me, although you're not a, a black man, you're a white gay man. And to a large degree, there are still certainly social 
and political obstacles for us as gay people of, of any race, and, and that that you know, and I can only imagine, you know, um, you know, things were things were different even in, even in the early two thousands. Things were different, and and for you and and, and Dale to to hit the high, I think it's the high, the high seas, the ocean of the river. That's right. The high seas. <laughs> I don't know. For y'all That's well, you know, in the spring, in the springtime, there are high tides. Well, I'm glad you brought up Miss Parks because what I take away from Miss Parks, and I wasn't there, of course, uh, what I take away from Miss Parks' example is that I belong. I belong in the front of the bus. This is where I belong. And so when I'm in any situation, Miss Parks knew that society thought she belonged in the back of the bus. And she says, no, I belong with you. I'm as good as you. I am different from you, but I am not less than you. And I belong in the front of the bus. And so whenever I'm in a situation like I am in a bunch of, you know, I am a city slicker in a very rural bucolic environment with the prejudices about what I may or may not do in the bedroom, right in front of me there is there is no mistaking that i am gay in my in my comportment in my speech in my mannerisms in my gestures there is no question that i am a homosexual man so i am in the middle of indian reservations and and people who've never met a white man before, i mean a, a gay man before and there's no way that i'm going to be able to dial this whole act down so that i might even pass for straight if, if they don't know to call me gay, they know to call me peculiar. But I had to think to myself, Rosa Parks said that she belonged in the front of the bus. And so that has often been my inspiration when I am in situations, when I am, so to speak, a fish out of water. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. There's one example in the boat where we are in Louisville, Kentucky, and in the book, and we're in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, we're tied up at the city lawn at the, and there had just been a, a, a concert it, on the great lawn and we were in the city docks just below that and everybody had cleared out the night before because they came for the show and we had stayed overnight and the next morning the Ironman competition was going on the next in the adjoining yard and the authorities were out closing the river so that the trainer so that the swimmers had an opportunity to, to train and I am in my bunk because I am I am a night owl and Dale is an early bird so I'm in my bunk and I'm enjoying the reflection on the water reflected on the roof of, on the ceiling of my cabin and I'm thinking about what lovely how lovely it is and oh I hope it's not gonna be too hot today and I wonder if we'll be, make it as far as Madison uh Indiana today and I'm just basically musing with my dog Doris Faye about what today's going to be like and I hear from a bullhorn prepare to be boarded and I think to myself, well, that's obviously someone else because I'm in compliance with the law. And then we heard it again, prepare to be boarded. And Dale, put, I heard Dale put down the coffee scoop with a clink. You know, it has a distinctive clink. Yes, I, yes. I, I heard Dale and he comes up and over the engine room through the deck house, like I explained, and he bounds down and the coffee's not even made. He says, uh, you might want to put some clothes on. These guys are guys, but they're probably not interested in what you are. Uh, and and we, need to, we need to go out on the dock. <laughs> and so I pull on my overalls and I jump out on the dock. And at that very moment, because in Dallas, I have been harassed by the authorities for being who I am. Um, and so I, I have a hesitancy, a natural hesitancy 
to engage the authorities. I'd rather not. And here I am in my boat and I'm thinking I'm doing everything in compliance, right? And, and, I'm, and, and they have the big boat with the big engines and the lights are on and they're all coming and, they're, they're good, and they step up on the dock. And I, to tell you, you know, between you and me and whoever you all tell, I was scared because I didn't know what was going on. I got you. I got you. Listen, Alexander, we're out of time, but I'll tell you what. We're out of time, but thank you so much. But listen, Alexander, you have been a riot. Now, in all the reviews for the book, it said that you were quite, you had quite the way with words. And I fashion myself a bit of a linguist myself. And I I love a little bit of poetry and prose in my my language. But you have, your choice of words, you you are a riot. I bet it would be a delight to hang out with you and Dale. If Kyle and I are ever in your neck of the woods, we fully expect that you and Dale are going to entertain us all night long and keep us laughing. But but it it really has been a pleasure hearing your story. Thanks for reaching out. Thank you for supporting our show. Thank you for sharing your story with our listeners. And most of all, thank you for just being you. I I, I can tell you are a ball of positivity and energy. And please give our love to Dale and you take care my friend. I will. And thank you all very much. We will be in Louisville primarily for uh, Actors Theater when they reopen. So we will give you all a shout out. Maybe we can get together when we're down there. Sounds delightful. Take care, okay? Okay, thank you so much Bye-bye. for the interview, guys. All right, thanks so much. This has been, uh, uh, y'all, this has been, this been a nice old show. Thanks so much yeah. to our guests today, to Taylor Ryan, to Alexander Watson. This, this this been like a full, like a full robust episode, Doc. I know, I know. I had a lot of fun and it was, um, it was interesting. Like, I mean, one, I love the work that Taylor is doing and so many folks in the community are showing up in so many different ways. I mean, I just love, cause you always say there's more than one way to resist. And it's true that, you know, it really does take a village. We need people out in the streets. We need people in the classrooms. We need people in, in government and, and law enforcement and everywhere basically to really affect true robust change. And so I really, really, really enjoyed that. And I also enjoyed talking about the little riverboat book and, and traveling down the river. And I was like, you, you, think, you, you, think, you think that you and Missy could survive? Like, oh, definitely. First of all, first of all I want to know. Well, I know Missy, Missy real handy. Missy like old Tom Sawyer, MacGyver type. You know, but I wonder <laughs> Alexander and his husband. Child, listen, y'all know I love me and I love me and I love me in, but I could not be on no boat with no man for no sixteen months or fifteen months, and, and all, you know, and, and a little bitty cabin and a hole or whatever. I wonder if they like how. But you think you and Missy though, y'all. I mean, like, y'all love each other a lot, Chad. I guess I didn't ain't never love the man the way you love Missy. Oh, but- no, I mean, I think we could. I mean, one, Missy, you know, right now she's actually working on relaying our deck. And so she's almost finished with that. I mean, she taught herself how to relay our deck and update our deck. I mean, she's so, um, she's just so handy. I mean, all she, I mean, just like she did the stairs, removed the carpet and then did the stairs. So she's really, really resourceful. And so I would just be drinking cocktails and rubbing Denver. And I just would... I would, I would love it. I would have fun, and she would do all the work, and I would just lay there, honey, and then swim in the lakes, and yeah. Well, I, I did always as a kid kind of have fantasies, you know, of like being like Huckleberry Finn and like being on like a little raft. Well, actually, who was Huckleberry Finn's? Oh, what was the slave? Those Huckleberry Finn, yeah, like that black slave. Oh my god, yeah. I know, but I, I don't. Know. I, I guess that's where I would be, you know, but uh, but you know, but I would like you go fishing and I do like campfires, but but you know, child, but again, I'm not really hardwired. For that kind of thing, but I really did enjoy um, all of Alexander's story. So, but, all right, Doc, we're out of time for it now, but we can do it again next week. So, until then, say goodbye. Bye. Bye, everybody. Strange Fruit is produced by Louisville Public Media. Our engineer is Koja Tashiro, who also composed our theme music. 
For more information about Strange Fruit, visit strangefruitpod.org. Like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Strange Fruit Pod. The views expressed on Strange Fruit do not reflect those of Louisville Public Media, its staff, or its underwriters. Strange Fruit is produced by me, Kyla Story. And me, Jason Gardner. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Support comes from Vision Zero. On foot or behind the wheel, safety is a shared responsibility. And Vision Zero Louisville believes zero roadway fatalities is the only acceptable amount. Their mission is to create safe roads by design, engineering solutions, and education. More information at visionzerolouisville.org.